hey, before we start this week's episode and I get into all the ads and all that that typically play at the beginning of these episodes, first, let me offer an invitation for you guys to come out to the Fortean Airwaves Conference October 6th, 7th, and 8th in Ada, Ohio. I'm sending the invitation out because I'm giving away two free tickets. Okay, so I'm inviting you to come on out. Uh, Patreon members, I'm going to enter you in a drawing. Okay, so if you want to be included in this drawing, just join Patreon. I don't care what tier level, $5 and up, um, you're in the drawing. All right, and I'm going to run this. I'm, I'm releasing this episode on the 20th of September. So I'm going to run it until Friday night, the 22nd at midnight, and then we'll close the drawing. So that's three days. If you want to join Patreon in that time, just to enter the drawing, after the drawing, I don't care. Jump back out. Uh, I would love to keep you, but if this is all you want, that's fine. Just, just enter. Um, if you win and you're not going to be able to make it anyway, let me know, and I'll pass the tickets along to the next person. But please, come out. Check it out. It's $50 for the whole weekend, okay? Uh, that'll be Friday night, Friday evening. Uh, we'll do a meet and greet. Everybody gets together. Um, that night, we'll have a podcaster's panel, then we'll hang out together. Saturday, from like 9 o'clock in the morning until 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, Saturday, we're all going to hang out together. Okay, it's going to be Cryptids of the Corn, Kill the Mockingbirds, my show, The Bump Podcast, Appalachian Intelligence, Hollow Sky, and Uncomfortable Podcast. We'll be together the whole weekend, and even Sunday morning, we'll get together and have a breakfast. Um, so I hope to see you all there. Please remember, enter the drawing through Patreon. Um, I, I hope to see everybody there that listens to the show, but... There's only 200 tickets available total, and I believe we are probably close to halfway sold out already. Um, there's only a few weeks left, so tickets are going fast now. Please get in there. Um, the drawing will be held Friday night, Saturday morning. I'll, I'll announce it. Um, I'll probably announce it on um, social media and directly to the Patreon subscribers. All right, so thank you. God bless. Hope to see you there and sit back, hold on to your seats because this episode is going to blow your mind. Do you want to be prepared for anything that could happen in day-to-day -day life or when disaster strikes from the office to the outdoors? Then please go to SquatchSurvivalGear.com and check out the packs that they have to offer. They're made in America, and I mean every single piece of fabric, hardware, buckle, and frame. All the labor, too, is right here in America. So when you buy from Squatch Survival Gear, you're supporting multiple small businesses right here at home. I've become good friends with Chris. Um, he, he's a military vet. So all of these packs are made to mill spec. All right, so they're all military standard packs they're good for everything these things are virtually bomb proof i promise you i own two of them i have the rock ape and the mothman pack they cannot be beaten 
I've I've had gear all my life. I had gear in the military. I have gear when I go hunting. I have gear for camping. The squat survival gear changes the game. All right, I I take one to work every day. I take the Mothman pack with me to work. Just use it as a regular backpack, but it's so functional. It's it's just unbelievable quality. All right, so please go to squatsurvivalgear.com. Now, to save 15% site-wide, I encourage you to use promo code 23BUMP. That's 23BUMP to save 15% site-wide. Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. So now that we have this knowledge, we have to remember to walk in 2 Timothy 1.7, which says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, When he turned his back from shoulder to shoulder, it looked like as wide as the tailgate of a truck. This thing let out the most blood-curdling, mind-blowing, spine-tingling scream that you've ever heard in your life, and it cut through me like a knife. And I knew that they were going to take me. I just knew it. And then the next thing I can remember is being levitated. Well, when I look in there, uh, I see two big eyes staring back at me. Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Bump Podcast, a place for the believers of the unexplained, monsters, and paranormal. Join us, and we'll go face-to-face with what goes bump in the night. got a great episode for you today this week if my microphone doesn't fall we're bringing on paul Stobbs to the show paul i was uh put in touch with through vicky joy anderson um because i had made a post on instagram asking where did this theory about um the nephilim being depicted uh modern day by clowns by you know as a caricature of what nephilim were you know and because i didn't find it as funny i looked at it like this makes sense the uh the height the red nose and mouth from the uh eating victims uh the elongated heads the you know that fear that some people have just seemingly built into them this primal fear of clowns um it made sense to me so i posted this thing on instagram and vicky joy anderson was like hey i can get you in touch with the guy who come up with this like a decade ago um when he had this revelation so i was like yeah i'm all about it and it seemed like it wasn't a couple of hours he had messaged me and i was like awesome let's do this and then it took me three or four weeks to find a day that i could schedule 
for us to be together. And uh, it worked out. Thank God it worked out. Um, but in this last month, I've seen him everywhere on all these podcasts. I'm like, man, did these people swoop me? You know, the, he, he popped up on all these other shows because they, you know, they had a, they had an opening in their schedule and got to him before I did, or is it just that I'm late to the game to find out about all this? I mean, if he found out 10 years ago, I'm, I guess I'm late to the, na- the game anyway. But let's uh, let's bring Paul on. I'm, I'm interested in this. Um, I'm sure that this won't be the only thing we discuss. You know how the show goes. We, we, uh, we start on one topic and we find ourselves all over the place and I love it and I wouldn't change it for nothing. And I definitely won't turn back now that we've gotten this far. You know what I mean? All right. I love you guys. And uh, let's go ahead and bring on Paul. All right, Paul, we'll re- we are recording now. Um, how you been? I've been okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, not too bad. Um, I, I actually, well, I tell a lie. I had a stint last week where I got rushed to the hospital because I had a bit of chest pain, <laughs> which is which isn't very good. Um, but it turns out I had high blood pressure, and um, I, I'm currently also waiting to see something about uh, my my blood having high iron levels. So in terms of health, you know, I've had a, a, a few minor issues here and there, but other than that, I'm relatively young, fit, and healthy. <laughs> so I've not been too bad. Um, no, but uh, yeah. Yeah, high iron. I I haven't heard anybody have high, too much iron. I hear a lot of iron deficiency here. Uh, my wife, one of them. She's she's a uh, like anemic. You know, low iron. But uh, yeah, it's more common usually for uh, you know Northern Europeans like myself, very pale people, to have low iron. Yeah, um, but it's also very common um, for people who are of Northern European descent, like myself, to get this thing called the the, the curse of the Celts, <laughs> and it it's this issue of hemochromatosis. It's called where your blood has too much iron in it because your body doesn't break it down properly, it doesn't get rid of it. And the uh, the only cure is to have your blood drained every so often. <laughs> no. So that's something, that's something that I'm going to have to um, maybe have done. I don't know. Um, I'm still waiting to see a specialist to get officially diagnosed. But the funny the funny thing is, uh, <laughs> this comes uh, this this potential diagnosis comes two weeks after I made a video and uh, talking about this particular problem that northern europeans have when talking about the nephilim clowns funnily enough it was a just a strange coincidence but um i was looking into theories of why clowns have um big red noses and how that relates to the nephilim in some way and um one thing i came across was this this curse of the celts and people with incredibly pale skin can suffer from extreme rosacea which is kind of like an offshoot of this hemochromatosis issue and people with extreme versions of it, this curse of the Celts, end up getting something called a rhinophyma, which is a big bulbous red nose. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I was doing this research into this particular blood disease, and then two weeks later, like I find out I may potentially have it. So I thought that was quite interesting and bizarre. I already kind of knew all about it when the doctor was telling me, you know, I was like, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, freshly uh, researched, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we'll call it divine providence or something. I don't know. But um, I, maybe I don't have it. Like I said, my blood tests have come back with high iron twice now. So they're going to go and do some more tests and see, see what's going on there. But maybe it's just a random blip. I don't know. We don't know yet, but uh, just interesting. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Let, let's hope for the best. And uh, uh, if high iron, I guess that wouldn't be, I guess a vampire wouldn't want that in their diet. If they're going to drain you. Uh... I guess that'd be the no, no highly metallic blood. You know, I think that the side effects apparently is quite bad. Actually, if it gets really bad, it can be um basically you get metal clumps forming in your organs. All the iron forms together, and you get little metal hard pieces in like your liver and your heart and your pancreas and things like that. And that's where you have some serious problems. And then what comes with that is liver failure, which obviously leads to um, jaundice and all sorts of things. Um, but I'm, I, the, we've done tests internally, and it, I don't have any major issues or no, no X-ray has shown any metal deposits in my blood yet. <laughs> but um, luckily, if you catch it early, you can prevent all that from happening before it gets to that point. So um, we'll see. We'll see. Well, thanks the Lord. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely uh, keep you in my prayers, man. For sure. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I um, appreciate it. So, Paul, let it take me to the beginning, man. I I told the audience before I, I brought you on that we're going to discuss your theory that you discovered. You come upon this, had the revelation of it a mm -hmm. decade ago of a connection between the Nephilim, uh, the Genesis 6 Nephilim, and modern-day clowns, how they're, they are a depiction, a characterization, a caricature, maybe, of mm -hmm. the Nephilim. That's how correct. Did, how did you come upon that? And just walk, walk me through, like, the, the beginning of all this. What's the origin story of this, man? It's 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 a really hard story to tell. I'm not going to lie. And yeah. I've tried to tell it so many times. I feel like I always miss something or or jump around but you're right the genesis of this idea did kind of begin to form in like the 2013 2014 time of my life and um, i was a heavy psychedelic user during that period i had graduated university in 2014 um so those three years leading up to that uh, 2011 12 and 13 i um was at university studying art and design so i've always been a creative person you know a painter sculptor um drawing and anything anything artistic related was what i do i have my degree in fine art and in stereotypical fashion you know i was taking a lot of drugs <laughs> during mm -hmm. that time as well i was a walking talking artistic student stereotype basically and i was very much in that new age gnostic worldview of consciousness exploration you know trying to get into other realms and communicate with beings and things like that and I just wanted to know more. I wanted to see more from life, you know, and I thought the answers were within these psychedelic experiences. So I was going, I was going pretty hard, you know, a heavy cannabis user as well. Um, uh, yeah, I wasn't, um, I wasn't, wasn't raised a religious person. You know what I mean? It was, I, was, I led a very secular life right. and my, par my parents were never particularly forceful about any religion at all they they themselves were ag agnostic i suppose they had some vague belief i suppose but they never talked about it you know it was just wasn't a thing uh, my grandma was devout catholic so that's kind of my only insight to any form of organized religion i'd ever had but uh, i i didn't pay any attention you know um and you know i suppose that i grew up kind of atheistic went down this whole consciousness exploration there's clearly a spirit realm and something weird going on 
my artwork was obsessed with sacred geometry, you know, and um, the flower of life and platonic solids and all that sort of stuff. So I was drawing a lot of stuff like that at the time as well. Um, and I, I got, I got, I what I'm trying to say is, I've always been able to see patterns in things because I'm quite a creative mind. Right. You know what I mean? I, I'm always, a, I've always been kind of a holistic thinker. Um, I'm not very good with maths because it's too specific and it's too rigid. You know what I mean? And um, it's not that I can't do it. I get bored with it and my attention wanes very quickly. Um, but I, I, I like anything that involves trying to see a pattern in things, you know, seeing the bigger picture of ideas. So during university, I kind of ended up going down this route of researching conspiracy theories. Um, and I made it a thing about my artwork, you know, because inevitably, because I was in this new age Gnostic worldview, I was watching videos about all sorts of things that inevitably led to me watching conspiracy videos. It's, it's kind of, they're all connected in that, in that respect. Um, and there was this buildup happening towards the end of the world in 2012 and the buying calendar ending and all that kind of thing. And it caught my attention. And there was loads of speculation about what was going to happen there. You know, the, the more new age angle was that there was going to be a consciousness shift in humanity, you know, and people are going to vibrate to the fifth dimension, <laughs> all this sort of thing and become their light bodies. And uh, I, I don't know, there's also the crazy ideas about what was going to happen then. Um, but I was researching all this and I was like, what, what's making people think this, you know, what, what is happening? What is all this conspiracy stuff actually about? And that's where my journey kind of began to answer those questions. I dive deep into it, you know, and as, as time went on, I kind of researched everything. I went down to every single topic and rabbit hole I possibly could and just, and just seeped myself in it. Um, and I was a sponge. I wasn't questioning any of it. I was just taking it all for what it was, you know what I mean? And um, I was taking each theory to its logical conclusion. If you were to fully believe it to be true, you know, and I loved it. I just loved that freedom of of exploring these ideas and, and making all these connections and theorizing about what it could possibly mean and all everything like that, you know. Um, and I was like I said, during this time when I was doing this, it was for, it became a university project. My artwork became about all this stuff. Right. And I was heavily in this psychedelic world at the time as well, you know. So it all kind of clicked into place for me in that in that way. And um, but I I when I left uni, you know, I had this channel with a relatively small following, but I still had this channel, you know, and I had all these thoughts and ideas that I wanted to continue to explore, but I'd found no answers in the new age Gnostic perspectives that were satisfactory for my own spiritual journey. Um, I was, the drugs were starting to take the toll mentally and physically. Um, my heart was empty and broken and voided. You know what I mean? I was disillusioned with everything. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I was kind of at rock bottom after university. I had no direction. I didn't know what, what I was supposed to be, what I was supposed to do with my life or anything, you know. And um, obviously, I was also terrified of the world and existence because of all this conspiracy stuff I'd just been <laughs> researching for years. Um, and I was quite jaded and and broken down and beaten down, basically. Um, and I'd done enough research by this point to know that there was this Christian angle to everything these the christian explanation for what the conspiracy is all about mm -hmm. and i kind of tiptoed around it you know i'd always I danced around the idea and never really wanted to go into it because uh, i was under this preconceived notion that christians are idiots you know who can't know anything possibly of reason because they're just they still believe in uh, a stupid sky daddy sand people religion <laughs> you know <laughs> like right. i had all these 
stereotypical, stupid, um, myopic um, opinions about the matter. And I, and I believe myself to be a god, you know, um, <laughs> for all the New Age Gnostic psychedelic worldviews yeah. I kind of held. And uh, my pride was kind of holding me back from humbling myself to want to actually consider that maybe it's not about me. <laughs> or maybe yeah, I'm not the center of the universe. <laughs> experiencing itself through an individual's consciousness vessel or something like that you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I but I was I was broken I was at this point um I had been listening to a few sermons and lectures and dabbling with it you know and going down the Gnostic ideas and but none of them were satisfactory either um and it, I got to this point where I basically I've said told this story before but I was basically um <laughs> at a stag a stag party for my brother-in-law who's obviously getting married to my sister and i was at, at his party before the wedding and we were in a different city and we all there was quite a few lot of us there and i was in this hotel room one night you know after a lot of drinking and all this sort of stuff um the next day should i say i was just i was just done you know and i was like right the party's over i've got to go back and pack up from uni i don't know where i'm going to go next type of thing and, and i was kind of at the end of my tether, I couldn't, um, I couldn't cope anymore. Basically, I was, uh, and I, I basically asked God to help me. I it was my last ditch effort of trying to find some meaning in life, you know, and some direction. Or, and what, what, what am I supposed to do? What's all this stuff about? I've researched. What, what's it for? You know, what, what's, what can we do? You know, and I need, I just, I just, I just needed help. So I asked for help from God. Um, I had nowhere else to turn. And I said, I'm, I'm giving myself over to you. Hmm. I'm, I'm in your hands now. This is it, you know. Um, do with me whatever you need to do. Um, help me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. You know, I'm a, I'm a drug-addled mess. My brain's messed up, basically. Um, and I'm full of all these thoughts and ideas that bring me nothing but pain and suffering. And it's kind of like, well, well, show me the way, basically. And, and I basically had a bath. And I basically baptized myself, I think, yeah. uh, because I hadn't had a bath since I was a child. I only ever lived in a place that had showers and yeah. a shower cubicle, but no bathtub. And I just basically, after asking for all this help, you know, and I went under the water and I, I had this rush of energy rush through my chest and my whole body, like electricity. And I just jolted out of the bath and I was like, what is that? You know, and I was looking at myself in the mirror. And it, I thought I was having a panic attack or something, but it wasn't scary. You know what I mean? It was a good feeling. Yeah, it was power. You know, in in a in a warm, comforting sense. Um, and then it left quite suddenly. You know, and since that day, you know, that time in 2014, I think it must have been March 2014 or something like that. I'm trying to think of the timings of everything when I would have left university. I, I I did have the date written down at some point, but I forgot it. But that was basically the day of my entire life became you know, centered towards God, basically, and, and Jesus and studying all that angle into the conspiracy. And that's where my channel took me as well. And I lost all my addictions during that time. I I haven't touched a psychedelic since that day. You know, I've not, um, I'm a different person, you know, mm. and I don't smoke, I don't smoke anymore at all. And, I, and all the things that I used to take pleasure in, I just don't anymore everything changed you know and it was a long process don't get me wrong it didn't happen overnight everything but um god's been working through me in a way that has, has changed me for the better since then a decade later and my research obviously took me down this strange path so i'd already like i said i already had this psychedelic understanding of the world i'd already been seeped in the occult 
you know, and I was well aware of these things called DMT gestures that people saw when they took uh, dimethyltryptamine, this powerful psychedelic. And I'd also taken um, salvia as well when I was even younger, when I was 17. And that was even more powerful. And I'd seen some things then as well. I remember distinctly the manic laughter that I would howl when I was on salvia and I had no control over it. My body would just laugh manically. And it's a real common side effect on that particular drug. So, you know, I'd already had that experience personally. I'd already seen that there was this fractal spiritual realm that existed, which entities supposedly were were within. I was blessed enough not to have to encounter any of them. But I saw the realm where they would have been, if you get what I mean. And if I felt like I was being protected, to be honest, the times I was there. Um, maybe that maybe God was letting me see just to prove a point that it's real, you know. But um, not long after, I, I kind of cha- you know, stopped all this. You have these things like called flashbacks, I suppose they're called, if you do psychedelics quite a lot, where you kind of keep zipping randomly into the psychedelic realm without wanting to be there and you're not even on anything it just happens oh wow and and i think i had one basically i think that's that's basically what happened to me um as i was drifting off to sleep one night um so this would have been around maybe the 2015 period you know a year after everything i just explained after being basically saved i had this vision come to my my mind and it was this enormous jester basically and I was looking up at this jester, this black and white line fractaled being with a big, wide, pink, purpley-lipped grin. And it had these huge glowing golden eyes that were like uh, reptilian in shape, angular in shape, um, like an Egyptian eye would be drawn, you know. Mm-hmm. And it had this um, skull shaped like jester horns, like a jester hat. But it wasn't. Its skull was physically shaped like that. You know what I mean? It wasn't wearing a hat or anything. It's, it just had this very oddly shaped skull. that looked very reminiscent to how a jester's hat would look. And I just saw this being for 10 seconds and I was looking up at it. It was enormous. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just right in front of me, my height. It was, an, it was a giant, you know. And just as quickly as I was there, I was back in my room. You know, and I was like, what was that? <laughs> you know, I've, so I keep having these moments given to me from God where my immediate reaction is, what what the hell was that? You know, um, and I didn't know what to make of it then, any of it. You know, it was just something that happened to me that I kind of put into the back of my mind. And I never forgot. You don't forget something like that. You know what I mean? I actually drew it. And uh, you can see on some of my earlier works, my first few videos, when I was kind of getting all this down, I showed the drawing in like episode one or two. I can't remember of my 40 episode series now. Yeah, I showed the drawing of what I saw. And you can see it's this black and white fractal patterned being. So I, you know, again, a year goes by and I have this nightmare as well, where I'm being uh, chased by this, this ribbon wielding Hatman character. He looks like a pimp with a cane, basically, wearing this huge purple trench coat and a wide-rimmed fedora hat. But it had these multicolored ribbons just beaming off the back of him into the wind, you know. And I had this nightmare where I was I was drinking tea with my dead relatives. And then suddenly I get a phone call in this dream, and it's this person saying, you owe me something, I'm coming for you now. Don't think I forgot about it. And I, I suddenly remember making a deal with this person about something where I, that where I'm at a festival and I'm suddenly on stage in front of thousands of people. And so this is a dream I had about this character years ago. Suddenly I remember this really old dream 
in another dream where I'm being called by the person I made that deal with years ago. So I'm very, it was a very inception psychedelic moment. You know what I mean? Then suddenly on the horizon is this hat man figure chasing after me, coming for me, you know, and I'm terrified of it. And it, it, I've never felt pure evil more than when I wasn't being chased by this thing, you know? Um, so this was, this was another experience I had. You know, I had to wrench myself awake. It's like I was being suppressed, like I couldn't wake up. You know what I mean? And I had to scream to wake up from this experience. And uh, and I, I did just before he got me, you know, and if, if I felt like if he got me, I would die. That's what it felt like at the time. Hmm. Um, I, I could feel my soul being taken away from me, if you get what I mean, the closer he got. Yeah. Uh, and then I had another experience where I was in my living room. Um. Nothing was happening. Nothing of special was happening. I was just watching TV with my dog sat next to me late in the evening. And then suddenly the room starts to spin into a black void. And it's like from the edges of my vision, it was getting blacker and blacker as it kind of spun into this weird vortex mandala psychedelic pattern in front of me. And I felt my body kind of being twisted with it. And like I was being... Again, like my 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 spirit, my very essence was being pulled out of me. And I felt like I was dying. Like I felt like I am going to die. Something is trying to kill me right now. And I I literally just said, Jesus, please help me. That's all I could think to say. And I had to force that out. And it's like um, sleep paralysis effect where you struggle to move your muscles, you know. And just as soon as I said that finished saying help me, it stopped, you know. So I've been having these weird moments for like these few years up to 2016. Like mm. I said, I had just a vision. I had this hat man nightmare. I had spiritual attacks where they were trying to kill me. Um, I had Jesus saving me, you know, and and just I'd had this background of psychedelic uh, abuse where I basically saw a lot of spiritual trippy things. And something happened in 2016. By this point, my channel was coming along. I was making a lot of videos about all sorts of spiritual warfare topics and doing research into the Nephilim and the history of the Nephilim, reading a lot of Gary Wayne's stuff, you know, his book. And I was kind of, I was arming myself with a lot of knowledge during these years, which is probably why I started getting all these spiritual attacks. Because I kind of used to be on their side, if you get what I mean. I used to be a vessel for them. Yeah. And now I'm kind of researching about Jesus and I've got filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think they were happy about that. I think like they felt like they'd lost a, a key player in the army, you know, in yes. a way. Yes. And now I look back on it in retrospect, it feels like that's probably what was going on, why I was so heavily attached during that time. But um, I don't get attacked like that anymore. It stopped. So I think I've um, edified myself in my faith enough to to kind of be protected. Um. But during that tumultuous time where I was a baby Christian, still learning a lot of things, still losing a lot of stuff, still, um, you know, getting rid of certain addictions or that type of thing, going through the motions and the process. I was in the middle of this spiritual battle for my very soul, basically, and I still had vices and, and lusts and addictions that needed to be dropped, you know. So there was a there was an internal spiritual battle happening within my own mind and body and in my life. And I, I'd been... Just I had all these, so like I said, I had all these experiences which were very involving demons, spirits, clown-like jester entities and hatman ring master entities and weird stuff was happening. I was heavily just digging into Nephilim research and suddenly in 2016, there was these mass clown sightings happening everywhere. I remember that. Yeah, and they obviously you remember they were basically creepily standing in, in the middle of the woods next to children's parks or on street corners holding balloons and 
just being menacing, just staring at people and waving at them creepily, you know. There's many videos out there of them attacking people, but I think a lot of that was staged, but they still made it to the mainstream narrative of people dressed like clowns are going around scaring people. And as soon as I saw the news reporting on this, I couldn't help but think then there's a reason for that. The news and the me- the mainstream media, immediately is a control thing, you know, and they don't show something unless there's a purpose. And if the media is showing us this super creepy mass clown sighting thing and they want us to know about it, there's a reason. There's a reason they want us to see it. This is all I could think. Nothing's by accident with these people. Everything's a symbol. Yes. You know, everything, everything's a message to them, uh, to the people who were initiated in their secret societies. You know, for us, the profane masses, as they see it, and um, we wouldn't understand the symbols if it, even if it was right there in our face. But these encoded messages are in things like media for those who do know to get the message, you know. So there's something about clowns being cited that they wanted us to know about. And, and I guess because of all these subconscious experiences I kind of had throughout the years, you know, I just was compelled to to, to say clowns and Nephilim demons and clowns you know this demonic clown phenomena i think around this time it was coming out as well you know there was a lot of clown stuff happening during that period people were referring to the world as clown world with the rise of donald trump and that meme culture with pepe the frog all that kind of stuff was happening around this time the clown was just becoming a prominent image in the consciousness of all of mankind you know everyone was aware of the clown during this time and it's kind of like people were arguing no the jester archetype is manifesting through humanity to help transition us through a a time of change and make jokes and levity about harsh realities or some some nonsense like that some nasty interpretation nonsense you know and i just i couldn't help but think you know i'm there's something here i'm supposed to see you know so i just typed into youtube at the time um nephilim clown uh something like that i was playing around with variations of demons nephilim clowns and jesters and stuff and i I came across this video and it was by a chat i think they were called the conspiracy the the epic conspiracy that's what the channel was called and i just recently looked it up and it still only has like 50 subscribers and it isn't anything you know it's not really a channel that's serious in any way it's but this guy made a video on there, whoever made this epic conspiracy channel, he made a video where he was saying the truth about the ancient Nephilim, you know. And he made this this mockery video about biblical concepts. So he wasn't a Christian. He was he was making fun of Christians, you know. He was making a, a conspiracy video that was a parody of a conspiracy video. You know? Right. Yeah. And he was talking about the Nephilim and describing them as having red hair and white skin and all this sort of stuff, you know, you know, making sly little jokes here and there as he was doing it, you know. And he said, "There's only one logical, there's only one logical conclusion: the Nephilim are killer, crazy, interdimensional clowns here to kill us all, or something like that." You know what I mean? Um, and he wasn't making any connections he wasn't trying to be serious he wasn't thinking about the words that were coming out of his mouth he was just making a joke you know right. an observation an observational joke and i realized something clicked away i went hang on you're onto something here i think <laughs> yeah. so I, I rolled with it and i started just looking into the connections of the clowns and the nephilim and i just it all the connections just started to roll and here i am now since then since 2016 i think 
uh, maybe it was yeah it was late 2016 when, when I made the first video you know I'm here now like seven years later and I have 40 episodes and hours about of research dedicated to, to explaining and showing how the clown is as a purposefully created Western symbol for secret societies to reference the Nephilim. Wow. That's basically the conclusions I've come to. It's a created image, the Western white-faced, red-haired, red-nosed clown. You know, that's a very modern phenomenon. It's um, only really got created in the early 1900s after the 1800s. Um, and during literally 1800 is when the first white-faced clown was actually created with all the multicolored clothing and the wild hair and everything. And it kind of evolved through the uh, the early um, 20th century with the rise of the Freemasonic-run circuses um, into what we know of today, you know, the red-haired Afro clown with the white skin and the high brow ridge and the slit down the eye and the you know, the ruffled around the neck and the multicolored clothing. And it was, it seems like there's no hard evidence for this. I, I can prove it was a Freemason called Charles Dibdin who created the costume of a clown in the, in the 1800s. And it was him who certainly glorified and popularized the clown into media. So a Freemason had had a hand in creating the image of a clown for sure. And it was a Freemason-run circuses that further evolved the image, you know, into what it is today. So it's it's rooted in the occult. We know the Shriners um, have their own clown sections, sex, yes. and, they, and they existed and were created around the same time period in 1911 um, during that rise of these, these um, Freemason-run circuses. Um, and it's kind of, it's like they, they created a symbol to represent their gods that people wouldn't realize is what's happening right in front of them. You know, like they always do hidden in plain sight type of thing. And they, they molded it into a character that is, should be seen as a funny joke. So no one would take it seriously, Yeah, but that they gave them free reign to dress like their gods, which right. are the, ne the Nephilim disembodied spirits, the demons, you know, and by dressing like the thing, which is what all other folk traditions understand around the world. And we can get into it, you know, and get into some examples of this, but to dress like something is to channel it is to bring it into your body, to allow yourself to be possessed by it. That's the practice, you know, that's, that's the ancient ritualistic folk traditional practice of doing something like that. And I believe the Freemasons who dress like clowns are doing the exact same thing. And it's likely that they took inspiration from all of these folk traditions around the world when designing the Western image of a clown, because you'll find there's clownish features in all of them, all over the earth. Anywhere you find a, uh, ancestor spirit worshipping, channeling, folk traditional cult, which is older than time itself, you know, you yeah. find that they, they dress up like something which is extremely clown-like or has a clown-like feature of some kind, be it pale white skin, a wild red hair, polka dots on the skin and body paint in some way. Um, some of them use stilts as well. You know, it's actually, it's right there in front of your face, you know, and it's kind of, I think, these traveling Freemasons of the day. Basically, during this period of time where there was a lot of money everywhere, and they were traveling all over the earth, you know, spreading their, their you know, learning a thing or two about their uh, their gods in other cultures. I think they saw all these tribes representing the quote-unquote ancestor spirits, which they knew to be the, the Nephilim, you know. And I think they took inspiration from all these cultures and 
like I said, melded it together into this this thing that we call a clown. Yeah, <laughs> but wow. it's not. It's um, it, its roots are wholly satanic, and mm-hmm. um, I'll take a break there. Let you ask some questions, and maybe we can get into the literal history of the invention of the clown from its roots in the West. So, so, yeah. so I, can, I can prove to you it's it's strictly satanic as well. You know, I've, I'm writing a book about it and I've just almost finished the chapter on this topic. So, Yeah, I, I want you to do that. I would I would love for you to do that. <laughs> that um, hold on. OK. Look, there, there's going to be a whole lot of me saying, wow, oh, man, really? <laughs> Because I have purposefully stayed away from this, okay? Um, just so we could talk and I would be getting information for the first time. Okay. The reason why Vicky Joy uh, reached out to you is because I posted on Instagram, what is this connection that I'm starting to see everywhere? People started posting uh, a few weeks ago. It was the first time I'd ever seen it about Nephilim clown connection. And I was like, Okay, and people were saying it as a joke, and people were laughing and making you know horrible comments in the section, you know, in the post comments, and I it hit me so different. I thought, no, 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 this makes sense, you know the, and it's it's all these connections, you know, the height, the head shape, the uh, the I read somewhere about the red mouth and the nose being the blood of victims and all, and I was like, <laughs> man, this makes too much sense. This has to be something legit, and so I posted the question, what is this? And on my comment section, people were talking trash a little bit, but Vicki Joy Anderson's like, hey, I know the guy. And so she she hollered at you and you were gracious enough to let, you know, to to come on. So I'm hearing all this for the first time. Since we, okay. you know, since we had that first discussion, I saw that you were on like tinfoil hat and uh, mm-hmm. and sh- shows that I love and I, I, I subscribe to, but I didn't let myself listen to this. I wanted to, I, I wanted to all be legit, straight from the source, first time, honest reactions. Um, you're, you're blowing my mind already, man. Uh, okay, okay. Um, a, a few things. Go. I, I wrote a couple notes. Walking way back, um, when you when you got saved and did a self baptism, I love that, and. I loved also how you said you didn't change overnight. A lot of people think they have to be perfect before they give themselves over to the Lord. And that's just not how it works. You give yourself over and then he changes how he needs it when he needs it. And I, I love that. Um, this, the salvia high, uh, the, the, the manic laughter you were talking about mm-hmm. when I first come out of the air force, um, I, I dabbled with salvia and tried to trip out tried to go to the other side and see all this crazy characters and uh this other realm and stuff i tried my best but i couldn't i felt like i was seat belted into my couch and all i could do was sit there and laugh and and laugh hysterically and everybody around me it was just and it's scary when you talked about i had to this day had never connected that to a spiritual thing um and, the, and then as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, wow. And then you hear that clown laughter in your head, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that was scary. Um, I had also had a dream about pure evil. You mentioned this pimp daddy hat man. <laughs> mine, mine looked like a scarecrow, but it was the same thing. I was a teenager 
and I, I was confronted by this thing and it was like stationary in my yard, but I had to pass it. And, you know, mm-hmm. these, these knives were jutting out at me and it was in my dream. This was pure evil. And that was my first time experiencing pure evil. And, um, I just, I just wrote notes of connecting here. I'm, 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 I'm trying to take this journey with you. And you mentioned something else about these clowns with multicolors. Mm-hmm. You may be getting into this in a minute, but my first thought on it was, I know that when in uh, Old Testament days, when a king would be dominated, overthrown, that mm-hmm. they would take the king's robe and cut it. They would take that the the train of that robe and sew it on to the next king uh, or to the to the champion, you know, to the champion king. Mm-hmm. And so it would create a longer train and it would be multicolored. Are these these Nephilim, I know they were leaders of you know of of families and clans and uh and, you know all the different ites. I would imagine they would have multicolored robes. Is that part of this connection? Um, to be honest, that's the first time I've been told that. <laughs> and now you've said it, it's possible. Um, the Hatman, the Hatman figure who had all these multiple colored patterns, I saw with these ribbons. Um, now you've said that I, I could interpret that as he was one of these Nephilim kings and rulers of the antediluvian world, but his robes are now in tatters. You know, he's been uh, kind of dethroned in a sense so symbolically speaking i suppose you could say that but i would say the multicolored clothing of a clown um is more of a reference to the psychedelic patterns of a serpent's skin uh, oh, mainly wow. because because they are a reference to the the reptilian race or the half human half seraphim angel hybrids the nephilim um the nephilim features you know the clown is a very cuddly version of what they actually looked like you know um these things had wide toothy fanged grins like a reptile's mouth is incredibly wide you know they had angular sharp terrifying features pale white faced skin like i'm talking like porcelain white maybe even with a pearlescent glow like a serpentine scale skin would have um they would have had red noses or an gathering, which um, and also I've also heard theories that they also had no nose. They've been referenced in um, the city car tribes of North America who contended with these things, called them the noseless ones. So they would have had a red hole where the nose should have been, which is another reference to why these Nephilim may have had red, you know, the red nose of a clown maybe there. But they could also have had these extreme rhino fibers by the virtue of having extreme hemochromatosis because they're so incredibly pale. Um, which means they ended up with these incredibly large, red, bulbous noses. And that's a phenomenon even human, humans today still suffer from. You know, it's still a side effect that you can see today happening. Um, so th- I think they would have had incredibly psychedelic patterns skin. Um, and I, I, maybe on the face, it, would, it always seems to be white on the face, but on the bodies, it always seems to be multicolored and, and insane. And if you ever look at a reptile, any snake, any any reptile at all, you know, they are trippy. They yeah, are incredibly trippy looking things. They are very colorful, you know. They have the iridescence, uh, that sheen. Absolutely. The pearlescent, iridescent sheen on top of scales that are just multicolored as well. You oh, know? very so, much, yeah. 
They were known as the glowing ones. They had big glowing golden honey eyes or blue eyes is very common description as well. They had incredibly long, fiery, flowing red hair. And I'm not talking ginger. I'm talking blood red hair. Not a not a human trait, you know. And these are all these are all traits that are kind of human mixed with snake, basically. <laughs> you know, snakes don't have hair, all right, but right. humans do. So it's kind of, you know, and it was the daughters of Cain that mixed with the um, the sons of God or the seraphim angels. And it's, um, I don't know what the mark of Cain was, but I have read recently theories from the book of Lamech of Cain. He says the mark was leprous white skin. So again, not Caucasians. We're talking vampire white, gray, you know, gray, white, death skin, you know, um, whiter than a porcelain urinal white you know these are that's that so with that i don't know if that's true but it would make sense in lieu of my theory that this white skin trait was picked up and melded into the fiery serpentine seraphim angels and you mash those two things together and you get a pale skinned red head base you know which is the base of a clown a basic clown image you know yeah. Um, so in terms of psychedelic patterns on the skin and the, and the psychedelic clothing of a jester or a, a clown, I, I think it is a direct reference to serpent skin. I do think that's what it's about. And then, you know, and with the uh, the makeup around the eyes, like the, the diamond shape or this, yeah. like you mentioned, the, the slit that would be reminiscent of the, the snake eyes. Yes. It, this is blowing my mind, man. Like This is legit. I, this isn't. This is legit. This is this is for real. Well, if uh, if we go into further explaining, just breaking down the clown. So, so the clown, like I said, is a symbol. It's it's full of metaphor and simile to the Nephilim. So, um, another example is a long forehead. You find a lot of clowns have a pinhead or a cone head or an elongated. They wear a skull cap, you know, with the hairs yeah. on the side, and it makes the forehead look incredibly long. But what we find these elongated skulls all over the earth you know um which are not human in any way shape or form and they're not a product of headboarding and crushing and manipulation they're actually shaped like that um with more volume than the average human skull and then where the neck attaches to it is different from a human skull as well you know and the eye ridges are bigger than a human skull and and they have um the missing the the ridge in the middle of the back of the skull as well what humans have so it's it's a different entity it's not human you know and these would have been offspring of the Nephilims, maybe lesser Nephilim, like the Elio or the um, the Nephil, as described in um, the book of, I think it's the book of Jasher, who talks about that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and en- Enoch as well, I think, mentions it. But uh, I think, you know, these seven foot tall, nine foot tall giant skeletons we find everywhere are these descendants of the Nephilim. And even they have this elongated skull feature. And even they're described as having white skin and red hair by the Native American tribes who've fought with them not that long ago we don't know how long ago specifically but it's it's it can't be too long because they still remember it they still talk about it in the rural traditions you know as if it was yesterday type of thing it could have been a hundred years a couple of hundred years ago it could have been 500 or a thousand years ago but that's still in relatively modern terms when you're talking about biblical history you know that's still coming through to the modern and they're not that tall they're like nine to ten feet tall and max you know the ancient pre-diluvian you no know, the post-diluvian um sorry yeah the pre-diluvian uh, nephilim were like bigger than skyscrapers you know they right. were the mountain ranges they were something they were and these were the most fiery insane looking things these were the original 
most clown looking entities you know i think it kind of got diluted as time went on to be honest but uh the, the common descriptors are always the same it's this pale skin red hair so elongated skulls often seen on a clown with a skull cap is referencing them these these the beings the serpents race that had these longer skulls than an average human and that's in the clown you know i've explained the white skin um i've explained the red nose it could be that they had no nose so it's a hole where it is because some of them have been described as the noseless ones it could be a result of having incredibly pale skin means they suffer from extreme hemochromatosis and get rhinophimers quite commonly giving them bulbous red noses um the the red around the mouth, the typical clown makeup of having red around the mouth is to accentuate the width of the mouth. It's to make it look like a wider, unhum- unnatural smile because the serpent, a snake, for example, can dislocate its jaw to eat its prey. That's what yeah. it does. You know, They have an incredibly wide maw, you know, and from the front, it looks like a big, wide smile. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it looks like they're smiling at you from the front because of the nature of how wide the, the gap is, you know. And obviously, um, that comes with fangs as well. And you'll find a tusked fang effect on most depictions of Nephilim throughout artistic depictions of them. They have these fangs from above and from below. Um, So the clown has this wide red makeup. I think, imagine a, like a, I theorize originally that the, the red around the mouth is because they were cannibalistic in nature. They ate flesh, you know, they drank blood. And there's this, there's the extra biblical text of rife with blood drinking. It was kind yeah. of a thing they did, you know. And having red around the mouth and red on the nose could symbolize simply that they are cannibalistic in nature. But I, I'm more leaning towards the idea of I think they may have had incredibly wide, thin lips, which were red like a human on this creepy looking white skinned wow. face, you know. So they would have had probably human lips on a serpent mouth, which would have looked incredibly weird and terrifying and red, you know, Um, just like our lips go red, you know, I think it could have just been a reference simply to that. Um, You'll find clowns often paint themselves with very big, thick black brow ridges that go up the forehead, this big, long head. And if you actually, if they close their eyes while they have this makeup on, it looks like their eyes are enormous. It looks like one big giant eye. And you'll find they also blush that entire area with blue quite commonly. So when they close their eyes, it then looks like you're looking at a being that has big blue glowing eyes. And that's another feature of the Nephilim specifically. Um, There's one depiction in Australia of the Wanginas, which you can find rock art depictions all all over the Kimberley region in the Western region of Australia. And uh, the backstory for the Wangina is a quintessential Nephilim. Maybe we'll, we'll get into it in more detail later, but the gist of it is that a lot of them are depicted with glowing blue eyes, you know, and and it's a very common descriptive trait. Uh, so the red hair of a clown is because these things tend to have red hair. So it's all there in the face, you know, and the, the line going down the eye, reptilian pupil in nature. You know, um, reptiles tend to have a slit rather than a, a round pupil. Um, so we get to the body, um, starting with the neck, you find clowns have a frill around the neck. Um, like a, It's like a ruffle of some kind. It looks like the stuff of, our, of the aristocracy, you know, of the uh, the Georgian era and, and the Elizabethan right. era. Um, and people would say, oh, well, that's just to mock the king, you know, and that's that's just there to, um, you know, make mimic the 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 ruler, the ruling class of the ta- of the time. But actually, if you look at um, some lizards, even in Australia specifically, they have frills around the neck. Um, a frill is a strictly reptilian feature. 
And uh, the most famous example I think people would recognize if I said it would be in Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. that one, the, the one that opens up its frill before it spits in the eyes of the fat guy before he dies, you know. <laughs> um, right, yeah. That's that's a popular mainstream image of a of a lizard with a frill around the neck. And but you can find these frilled lizards do exist still today, you know. And I think that's what it truly is on the neck of the Nephilim. I think that a lot of them may have had these plumage frills, just like a lizard. Um, and I think that's what the ruffle around the neck is actually representing as well. And then you have the multicolored clothing, which is obviously reminiscent of serpentine skin. Um, then you have the large gloves and large shoes just emphasize the size of these beings. They were giants, you know, and the big shoes represent that they would have had big feet. Um, they often wear tiny hats or little umbrellas. Again, it emphasizes how big they are. Yeah. Oh, okay. They're trying to reference, look how big the clown is. You know, they are referencing the giants of the past, the Nephilim, you know. So these symbolic references to size are always there with the big hands, the big shoes, the tiny objects, you know. And there's also this nature of clowns come out of a car, many clowns coming out of a vehicle. You know, I think this is the Freemasons having a bit of fun with the phrase, you know, they are legion for they are many. And a human being, for example, can have multiple demons within them. And in dream um, understandings, if you dream of a vehicle, you're actually dreaming about your own ability to get through the world. You're dreaming about your body. So if your car breaks down in a dream, it usually means you probably have some health issues in real life that you're dealing with you know your car represents your ability to travel through existence that is your body the car is a symbol for the human body um so to see a car with multiple clowns coming out of it in a non-stop comical fashion is symbolic of a human body being full of demons you know oh my God. many you know it's, it's a tongue-in-cheek reference it's a symbol do you understand yeah, and to us, yeah. it's just entertainment but to them it's symbolic of the truth because they created all this. You know? yeah. And this is um, like children's entertainment. This is in your yes. face. That's oh right. God. Uh, like I said, clowns are often shown on stilts because the Nephilim were giants. You right. know, that's another reference to that as well. Um, yeah, the, everything about a clown is just a, a simile, metaphoric, symbolic reference to Nephilim features. Oh and it was, by, it, was by, it was by design. And most specifically, the the seraphim nephilim, like the the reptilian features are prominent, right? In in most of these clown depictions. Yeah, but yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said, the the nephilim are the offspring of fallen angels mating with human women, right. aren't they? Yeah. Um, so it's a rep and seraphim seraph. You know, the word for seraphim um, it basically means fiery serpents, right? Uh, Seraph, seraph is a reference to the burning of a serpent's bite. Um, and the seraphim is basically saying burning serpent, fiery serpent, you know. Yeah, um, the dragon-like uh, yeah, exactly. order. Yeah. I do, I do believe, obviously, um, dragons are also a reference to fallen angels, yeah, seraphim angels. Um, the feathered serpents of the Americas, you know, Kukul Khan, mm-hmm. Quetzalcoatl, all of those, that group, of whatever name you want to give them. Uh, the, the fiery serpents of China and Asia, you know, are all yeah. over the place. Um, these are references to the seraphim, the seraphim who mixed their DNA with humans and created this this race, you know. Yeah. Um, a lot of Christians who follow you know, the churchianity view of it all hate me for saying this. They think I am blaspheming. They believe the sons of God were just uh, just men. 
Yeah, the satellite view. No. Yeah, but that's just not. It's just not the truth. You know, no, if you if you just look outside of the Bible, it's it's showing you clearly in the world what they were. Yes. You know, yeah. um, and I believe the Bible is also telling you very clearly what they actually were. Um, I think it's probably a Masonic deception, to be honest, to believe the other thing. <laughs> I do too. I, I, it, I agree with you. It, I, maybe I'm, maybe it's different for me because, again, I wasn't raised in a church or with any particular dogma, so it was easier for me to perhaps see the pattern and look outside of it. But I think some people are so entrenched in that other view that they find it difficult to accept any of anything other than what they were told originally. Well, you um, know, a lot of a lot of the Western church now looks at hell as a metaphor. Uh, they look at demons as a mental health issue. It's it's way more real than that. You know, it's 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 way more tangible. There there is a spiritual realm, and and this ties into it. This is a, a big indicator and proof of it. I do have a couple more things, man. But before yeah, I'll, I'll stop, I've, I've said enough. I'll, I'll no, let no, you no. go. I, I, I'm loving it, and it's like blowing my mind. And I'm like, hold on, I, I got these grade school questions for this college level. <laughs> no, no, go for it. Go for it. Honestly, go for it. I'm, 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 I'm uh, here because I, I want to hear this, uh, the satanic connection too, mm-hmm. real quick. Another thing that hits me is this connects the whole uncanny valley theory of that primal fear that people have of clowns. Um, like, why would people be afraid of this uh, this slap-happy, balloon-twisting clown, you know, other than that there's some kind of primal trigger in there? Um, and I, I think it's because it's, like you're saying, it's it's just the obvious. It's this Nephilim connection, you know, that these were terrorists yeah. from the beginning. Colrophobia is the fear of clowns, and it's actually one of the most common fears in the world. It's not the most common fear, but it's up there. You know, it's very it's common enough that it's it's considered relatively normal to be have that fear. Right. I've noticed there have been a lot of articles being released recently over the past maybe since the 2016 clown sightings of trying to explain why people are scared of clowns and scientists think they have it have it pegged, you know. And they're basically saying it's because of the uncanny valley thing, because it's almost human, but not quite. Right. And people don't trust people who wear masks. You know, you, people don't, people aren't instinctively scared of um, faces they, where they can't read someone's emotion. And that's what paint does. You know, it's a constantly right. smiling, smiling monster. You don't know, even when it's sad, it's still smiling type of thing. But uh, I think it is, like you said, more deeply rooted into our DNA. These were our enemies. Us, these were our these were eating us you know yes it, yes these were predators the true predators you know and we were its prey and I, I don't think a brutal existence with these things leaves leaves a human and the generations right. afterwards i think we are then in, in kind of like a micro evolutionary type way forever changed right right yeah we all distinctively have this this deep rooted ancestral understanding in our very blood you know to to distrust a thing that looks like that i really think you know i I think so because these are the things that joshua and caleb were, were charged to go into these these lands and eradicate you know it it wasn't that god didn't like tall people it's because of these were you know, these monstrosities, these abominable things, these were not his creation. Um, no. And, okay, while you're talking, I'm 
there, there's obviously, and I don't know, I, I've gotten into it on my show before, and I know it's a very popular theory on a lot of other shows. There's a lot of people that speculate that, and don't laugh me off on this quite yet. Give me, give me just a second. A lot of people speculate that there's a Nephilim and a Sasquatch connection. Okay, the Bigfoot and Nephilim connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what you're some of these connections with clowns. These are common traits of these these Bigfoot creatures as well. You know, you have the the height, you have the enormous wide mouth, you have the elongated heads, um, the of course the giant feet. You know, these these are also, you know, these are something that's shared with the Nephilim creature, the clowns, and the Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever been asked about Bigfoot? Do you believe that they are derivative of these clowns or are these Nephilim or where do you think okay, they come well, from? Uh, well, sit down because I have an entire chapter dedicated to this in my book. And yes, you're right. It's um okay. It it's linked. Okay. In, okay. In, it's in fact it's it's a root for the very existence of a modern clown, literally. Um and I, I'm gonna explain to you the story of how the Bigfoot is involved with all of this. It really is. Right. So you have to you have to realize there's this thing called a wild man, yep. which is traditionally through most of Europe and actually all over the earth. The wild man tradition has its roots in northern European mythologies, but these tall, brutish, hairy men have always existed throughout history in in the relatively modern age through um, classical history, Mediterranean history. Um, you can find big Bigfoot type characters all over the earth in every continent. Right. They have their own version of it. Okay. And I've listed them all in my book recently, actually, wow. in uh, chapter chapter 13. Um, there's too many to recount here, but the, listen to me when I say there are, it's everywhere. They're all over the earth. Um, but specifically, um, I'm going to talk to you now about where where the clown and where the harlequin comes from and how it actually became a thing in the west okay so so the first clowns were kind of not clowns as we know them today okay they were more buffoonish comic characters out of greek and roman theater they usually were on the sidelines of the stage making comments about the actors and the actors couldn't hear them you know that's how the play would go And uh, they would make the audience laugh by commenting on things that were happening within the scenes, but they would be kind of outside of the scene. Uh, This kind of developed um, after the collapse of Rome into kind of street performers. Um, And I'm going to fast forward quickly here, but eventually something called the Comedia L'Art movement happened after a good thousand years of pretty much silence on this type of thing, because the basically the Roman church after 500 AD after the collapse of Rome and due to the excesses of Rome, kind of cracked down on entertainment. You know, it was all of the devil type of thing. Right. So there was a period of time where there wasn't really any performances happening anymore since the Greek and Roman theatres, you know. Um, but what did start to happen was the highly Christianized nature of, of the of that Europe became over these pagan cultures. Um, you would find that... How do I best explain this? I've literally just written this chapter as well. <laughs> it's, it's a very complex story, but you would basically find that these actors and clown mime-like characters um, from Rome would travel out of Italy all around Europe. 
basically putting on shows in different villages all across Europe. And they, they would basically build a stage, put on a performance, a comic act. And it, this was known as the Comédie de l'Art movement, okay? And these actors found work doing this, and it kind of started to become popular again, maybe around the 1400s, the 1500s, and the 1600s. Um, and during this time of them traveling all across Europe, um, they seem to incorporate this character into the, the the selection of stock characters. So originally, they just had these things like um, the general, the rich old man, the uh, the servant girl and the servant man. It was like stock basic characters that could apply to any society. And these characters would have interactions with each other on stage. You know what I mean? So people could relate to it and have a laugh, basically. But around this period of the 1400s and the 1500s, you'd find this character called Harlequin got incorporated into the cast. And it seems like they these traveling actors picked up this character and based it off of the wild man tradition that they discovered all over Europe, which depicted this character um, from French-German mythology, mainly, called Helikins. So Helikins is... Um, is a quintessential wild man. He's a is a tall, huge, hairy beast with a big club over his shoulder yeah. that would have a horde of demons follow him around from village to village, causing chaos, basically. Um, and this is like a mythology of this this area in German and Germany and France. But even that itself, Helikins has its roots in even further north Norse mythology of uh, the god of hell, which is called which is called hell, you know, literally hell. Yeah. Um, and you would find Hearn the Hunter as well, and the Green Man, and the, the Jack of the Green, and Robin of the Hood, and all these characters in England as well, which were very similar to this Hurlikin character. And he was basically um, a wild man figure, but in, more, in a more modern mythological sense, which is where they picked this up. But even then, if you go even further back, this is basically Enkidu from the Epic of Gilgamesh, the wild hairy beast, you know, um, that was friends with um, with Gilgamesh, you know, basically, yeah. and traveled, traveled around killing lions and all sorts of things before he got killed himself, you know, um, looking for immortality and all this sort of stuff. Uh, the wild man tradition goes way back even to Cain because there was a translation in, in an Irish book, um, which basically was a compilation of Old Testament stories in the Gaelic language. And they they basically called Cain... Hurl, Hurley, which meant hairy. So Cain was the hairy Cain. And there's that story of Lamech and Tubal Cain killing Cain. You know, they thought he was a beast when they were hunting. So they shot an arrow at him and killed him, you know. And they, they were like, oh God, we've, we've just killed Cain. <laughs> but once he came up to the body, they realized what their mistake afterwards, you know. Um, so Cain himself was the first wild man. And in Gaelic language, he is referred to as the Hurley Cain. Wow. So this is probably this is probably where Helikins comes from. You know, the Helikins tall, hairy wild man with the with the with the club is based on the world's first murderer, the literal grandfather of the Nephilim, because it was his daughters that mated with the uh, the the ne no the Seraphim angels, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you'd find even leaving that alone, you know, that's where Harlequin comes from. He was a it was a Harlequin was originally in white tattered clothing with multicolored patches all over him to mimic tufts of hair like the wild man. Um, the original, it was actually called Arlecchino in the Italian phrase, but um, Harlequin was kind of the, the Northern European pronunciation of Arlecchino based on his Helikin's character, like I said. 
you'd find he'd wear these tufts of multicolored over him in these rags. He would he would have a club like um, Harley Kitten, sorry, like um, Heli Kittens would, and this would become the slapstick. Okay, so okay. What, the, what the character of Harlequin would do in these shows, he would be a demonic, powerful figure who was outside of the story, but within the story. And what he could do is slap his stick onto the floor and change the scene. He had magical powers, you know what I mean? He was a quintessential demon. And yeah. he has his roots and basis in representations of the, the demonic wild man. We call this today Bigfoot, these sightings of these wild men. But they've always been there. And you can find European depictions and stories or encounters with wild men everywhere. There's even a, a Swiss tapestry depicting the Moors fighting incredibly tall, pale-skinned, hairy men. You know what I mean? And yeah. the these giant hairy men are everywhere and have been throughout history and, and Harley Quinn is based on them. So this is the first proto clown character. Harley Quinn was a vulgar, um, brutish character who would mimic masturbation with his slapstick. You know what I mean? And penetration and other people who's crude. He was rude. He was, he was the first clown the type man. character. But even then um, he, this is kind of an amalgamation of, of the devil character in, in medieval plays. The devil character would be very Harlequin-esque, act the same way, and would have um, basically cloven hooves and hair on his legs, you know, and the tail and all that. So this is where that medieval image of the devil came from within the highly Christianized society of the time, you know, when plays became more popular. You would find often that Harlequin would replace the devil character in these shows later on. So the Harlequin is synonymous with with demons, basically. He is a representation of a wild man demon. So Harlequin, as, as the years go on through this comedial art movement, it moves up into England and becomes pantomime. Mm. Um, and Harlequin kind of changes from the, the quick-witted, devilish character to kind of like a bumbling fool who's constantly chasing after this woman he loves called Columbine. And he would stop being this, this demonic thing and become more of just a doting love interest you know um through the british um versions of this thing and then you would find there's another stock character which was called clown um within the comedia art movement so clown up until this point was actually a relatively back character that wasn't that important um it was basically the servant of pantaloon the rich man and clown just dressed in very loose white clothing uh, rags if anything and he had some black pom-poms on him. And that was it. That was Clown. You know, and it was it was it represented a lowly servant. And Clown would often try and prevent Harlequin from getting with Columbine, the, his master's daughter, you know. That's who Columbine is. Columbine is the daughter of Pantaloon. And um the clown, the servant of Pantaloon, would try and stop Harlequin, the other servant of Pantaloon, from getting the daughter. And that's where the comedy arose, you know, mm. the, the back and forth, the chasing of each other, that sort of thing. But you'd find during the 1800s, so the in the 1700s, in the build-up to um, 1800, um, the clown would start to take more of a, a front stage appearance and get more popular among the people, uh, mainly popularized by someone called Joseph Grimaldi, now, Joseph Grimaldi was an acrobat performer who comes from a long line of performers. And um, he would basically play the clown character like no one had ever seen, tumbling and whipping himself all over the stage, doing backflips and all sorts of stuff. He had this way of speaking and, and just performing, which people loved and found hilarious. And because of him, clown took over 
as the lead character in these Harlequinades. So Harlequin became the backseat character and Clown took over. And you'd find that Clown basically took on the role Harlequin originally did. And he started acting like the original Harlequin, the one that would be rude and crude and use his slapstick to like mimic sexual stuff, you know, and he would yeah. become this, this, this demonic character, which Harlequin originally was. So there was a swap there. And then you'd find around the exact same time period, once Joseph Grimaldi had become so popular among the people and the clown had become center stage, is when Charles Dibdin, the owner of the theatres at the time, who was basically Joseph Grimaldi's boss, kind of like the that era's version of like record producers today who work right. for the Illuminati, who work for the Illuminati music industry, you know. He was like the, the leader of the performing arts then, you know, the Freemason who ran everything then. And he basically um, did a costume change and Harlequin's costume became more skin tight and fancy and pompish, you know, um, like a fancy boy. <laughs> and yeah. the clown costume stopped being this boring servant's outfit and became this psychedelic, trippy looking thing that we have more akin to what we have today. And uh, Joseph Grimaldi tells a story in his in his memoirs of, of inventing the, the clown face, basically. And he was inspired by um, people who had extreme rosacea, funnily enough, who had the you know the the skin would glow, glow red basically from from this this northern European problem of the curse of the Celts, and it's it's all connected. But um, it was that period the clown was first created, um, and it was all orchestrated by the Freemason to make him center stage. And I think I feel like this Charles Dibdin must have seen an opportunity to put into the center stage into the eyes of the public of that era a character first of all an actor they loved and couldn't do any wrong you know this this joseph grimaldi people idolized him right. so they got this person this celebrity that everyone loved to dress like a demon basically mm. <laughs> and everyone then started venerating the guy dressed like a demon which is what they do today in the music industry they get all these famous people to dress insane like demons, they clown makeup basically, and worship them. You know, wow. I think it was the same thing happening then, two hundred years ago. And you'll find from there, uh, the clown developed through the circuses, and all the circuses were run by Freemasons, um, Barnum and Bailey, the Ringling bro Brothers mainly. They were the two big, big players. You know, and you find in the early nineteen hundreds, um, the clown had become kind of synonymous with the circus. Um, they put on these these extravagant shows, which were basically uh, King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And they're, everything about this show, um, run by these combined circuses of Barnum and Bailey and the Ringling Brothers, everything about it, the costumes, um, the setting, every single physical thing that was needed to put on the performance was created by a company who makes the clothing for Freemason lodges. Um, it was all designed as a show to mimic the rituals that they were put on inside the Freemason lodges. And I've got a book about it and they openly explain it, that that's what they were doing. You know, there was no, it wasn't a secret. Yeah. And it's, it's basically, they managed to put on this huge circus performer performance, which would be a giant Freemasonic ritual, but rather on, than on a small scale in this tiny little lodge, they get to see their rituals acted out in a grand place, you know, with a huge audience. Yeah. And the profane masses who watch these circus performances don't know what they're watching. They think it's just a bit of entertainment. 
But what the Freemasons who go there to watch it know is that they're watching their rituals being played out in front of them with their symbols. And the clown was incorporated as a symbol for the demons within these circuses, within these performances. But the people wouldn't have recognized this at the time. How, how would they know, you know? But the Freemasons did. Because I believe high-level Freemasons are a continuation of these serpent worship cults from the past, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah, I um, yeah. And, and, and they have I to show believe... you this, this black magic. They have to show you these rituals, right? Yeah. They have to do it in the open. It's part of yeah. it. And it's... Wow. Man. So I believe, yeah. So think of this. The, the leader of a circus is the ringmaster. Ringmaster. Now, first of all, Solomon was the master of the ring, the lord of the ring. He had the ring to control the demons to build his temple. Okay, so this, that's the first reference to what it is there. But the ringmaster also wears a black top hat. Within a Freemason lodge, the only person who is allowed to wear a black top hat is the grand worshipful master who runs the lodge. So the ringmaster of a circus orchestrating the ritual of the demons, the clowns running around him, is the same thing as the grand worshipful master of the Freemason Lodge orchestrating the ritual and summoning demons within the lodge. It's the same thing, just you know, kind of put into a circus. The only difference with the circus is that it has an audience, and therefore it garners more power, more energy. You know, the ritual is more potent, more powerful. Um, but luckily for them, the audience are ignorant to what they're witnessing. Right. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's how the that's how the occult work. They hide things in plain sight, and only those with the eyes to see can decode the symbols to understand what's really happening in front of them. You know, and this was again, this was this era's version of uh, musicians fl uh, throwing up Illuminati hand signs today. Right. <laughs> it's it's not yeah. the practice never really changed, and the clown is a bit of an old symbol now. You know, and in terms of the high, uh, you know, the externalization of the hierarchy thing going on today, where they're kind of they're kind of showing you more and more blatantly what they're actually all about. The evil demonic clown is basically now the the norm when you see a clown represented anywhere, right? Because now they're trying to show you in media with things like it, you know, um, that yes, clowns are linked ex directly with the demonic, the demonic, you know, um, so you know. Harley Quinn, the first clown character, based literally on wild men or Bigfoot of Europe, you know, based literally literally on Nephilim creatures in, in an extremely literal sense. It's not there's no metaphor about it, you know. Yeah. And then the clown replaced that character and took on the same role of the demon. Um, and then the demon, then the clown was incorporated through the circuses as a symbol within Masonic rituals, which were put on by Freemasons in these circuses. And the symbol has continued into our modern age today. And you'll see it everywhere now. I pointed it out. You'll yeah. see, you'll see musicians dressing like clowns quite regularly. Um, and I believe to do this is actually to purposefully channel the spirit, and that's what they're doing when they do it. Um, they're doing it for power, for talent, for fame and fortune. They dress like the thing to evoke the thing and be possessed by the thing. And that's how they get forward in life. I believe if you're in the artistic industries and you want to get famous, all you have to do is dress like a Nephilim jester clown monster. And um, if the demon itself doesn't help you get there, the secret societies that run the industries will notice you dressing that way and they will elevate you. They will make you get famous, you know. 
Um, like the band Kiss. Oh, they're all they had, one. One of them went by the Demon. One of them went by like the Star Child or something like that. That's right. Yeah. What? Yeah, Kiss is one. one of them. Kiss is one of them. Yeah. Um, but you, I, I've, I have yet to make a video on it specifically, but I. There are hundreds of artists who have done this. David Bowie is a, a very another popular mainstream example. Oh yeah, he had his character. He had his character. Here. Was it Iggy Stardust or something? Yeah, which was a red-haired, white-skinned Nephilim clown demon, uh, basically. Um, the Susie and the Banshees—is that a name? She was the same thing: white skin, red lips. Um, you'll find Split Ends was a band in Australia that was quite famous. I think on New Zealand that also played on the checkerboard patterned clown-faced um, thing. Um, you'll find um, even today, um, I don't know, Doja Cat, Cat is a good example. Not only she just released a video, which is literally just like a demon. Yeah. You can find plenty of examples of her clowning herself up on purpose. Um, you'll find they'll all lean towards bright red lips, pale white skin depictions of themselves. Yeah. Um, every, every famous artist has probably done this um, and they'll probably still be doing it today. Um, I think is it the lead singer of The Cure? He's another good example of somebody who's always has red lipstick on with white makeup. Um, it's it's a common trope. It's a common thing, and it's Very. it's their version of evoking the spirits. It's the same thing um, folk traditional rituals do today in Africa, in Asia, on every continent, everywhere. You know these ancient practices. They dress like yes. clowns yes. to summon demons. You know, man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, we're recording this on uh, in September the 11th. Last week on my personal Facebook page, I posted um, this 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 huge thing about demonic influence in music, and Doja Cat was my 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 main focus. And so it's, yeah. I had no clue that, it, that our conversation was going to go there. I, I had no no clue. But that that is awesome, man. Um, that you're you're exposing this darkness for what it is, uh, because they're they're doing it in plain sight, like you said. And uh, but those who have eyes, let them see, right? Okay. Now, yeah. You said you're gonna you you can you can show a another satanic link. Right, like you're you're working on. Is there more that you have to share? Is there anything that I need to ask you that you want to be asked that I haven't asked? Because I want I want more, man. <laughs> you want we want more. Well, I've, I I've, I've, given, you, I've given you basically a, a overall summary of everything to do with it. Um, you know, you get you get the gist of the theory now, don't you? Um, yes. So, so what a lot of my work does. Um, on my channel is I go across cultural examples of ancestor worship yeah. where they basically show um, how these people dress and how they always lean towards the same similar features. Um, and now it's hard to do without actually visuals, to be honest. Yeah. Um, um, but you'll, you'll find stories um, always line up with, with the Nephilim story from the Bible, basically, but they always have their own cultural interpretation of it or their own kind of aesthetical spin on the situation. Um, so one, one I'd like to discuss is, is Greece. So 
ancient Greek history is rife with with demigods, you know, and and the gods of Mount Olympus raping women and raping other gods and producing these hybrid offspring, half god, half human entities, you know, and it's basically the Nephilim narrative of, of um, the gods of Mount Hermon coming down, the fallen angels of Mount Hermon mating with the human women and creating offspring, you know. Absolutely. And these are the heroes of old, you know, that the Greek pantheon talks about from a from a pagan perspective. They're viewed as the good guys, you know. And I think if you want to talk about the Satan, the satanic side of all of this, you know, you have to talk about ancient history, basically. And why is it satanic to begin with? You know, we know that the disembodied uh, spirits of the Nephilim, once they were killed, became demons. Right. Okay, so the Nephilim we're talking about nowadays, we can talk about all these physical representations like like the wild men which may be remnants of nephilim that still exist but the true majority of them are gone you know they're in then they don't have a body anymore they're right. in disembodied form they are spirits now they are demons now so the, all these cultures around the world um that do this um people who are watching my stream now on my channel can see all the images rolling in the background and of these cultures who do this you know they dress in the most insanely terrifying, wide-toothed, uh, wide-grinned, multicolored ways, you know, and they believe they're they're venerating their ancestors because the Nephilim in the ancient past were the kings and rulers of the land. So when the Nephilim were first created, they were considered amazing things, and people saw them as heroes because they could do amazing things like kill a lion in a second, you know, with their bare hands. Right. Thing predators to normal humans were just pets to these things you know and people you know worshiped them very quickly because of it you know and they looked up to them and aspired to be like them but it got to a point where the nephilim couldn't become couldn't be sustained anymore because they just kept growing right. so that's when the nephilim started to eat everything including people including each other they right. were brutish power hungry monsters you know and you'll find they very quickly, once they started to really become evil, um, usurp all the thrones and became the gods and rulers over mankind very quickly. You know, it only took four generations from Jared before the whole earth became utterly corrupt and the flood had to come. Right. And, that, you know, it didn't take long, you know. And obviously generations then were probably a lot longer than our generations today. People lived for, for hundreds of years then, you know, it was a different time. But for, for possibly thousands of years, which is, you know, a short amount of time for how long the antediluvian period actually probably was the whole earth was just utterly corrupted by these things because um once they were created by the angels they then mated with women and created even lesser scary monsters and then those lesser scary monsters then mixed with each other and other humans to create even weirder monsters and it just became a mess you know there was monsters all over the place yes well and the source hill came from the original Nephilim and the fallen angels, you know. Yes. Um, but then there was a weird thing happening just after the Nephilim were kind of killing each other, where humans started to mess with their own genetics. And this is referred to as the mixing of kinds in the book of Jasher, you know. Um, and it was this mixing of animals, one animal with another, and human beings with animal traits. So we got these even weirder monsters appearing, like mermaids and and centaurs and half human, half animal hybrids, you know, yeah. everywhere. Um, and I think a lot of these things survived the flood because they had the abilities to survive in water because they had fish-like abilities, you know, like gills and things like that. I think uh, the time just before the flood was insane. It was insane, the stuff that was around then, you know, and and 
again, they were all being ruled by Nephilim kings. Right. But once, once, once they all died in the flood, you know, that pretty much wiped most of them off the face of the earth. Even before the flood, um, the angels who mated with the humans and created the Nephilim had to watch their children kill each other. You know, that's one of the punishments talked about in the Book of Enoch, that, you know, one of the punishments was that they had to watch their beloved ones kill each other. Yes. Their children, their Nephilim children kill each other, you know. And these were the big ones that were killing each other off. And during these battles, you know, and they were probably, from the Nephilim perspective, they were fighting each other to become the only rulers on the earth. They were petty power struggles, you know. But from from, like the angel's perspective it's like why are you all killing each other <laughs> you know you're supposed to be working with us we, you know we are the gods and you are our our potentates on the earth you know um, right at, at this time you know people like the greek pantheon of gods or the norse pantheon of gods and all these other pantheon the indian pantheons you know yes. all these many gods that were everywhere were the fallen angels and yes. they had below them in p- positions of power yes. the nephilim you know, and then below the Nephilim, you had the priestly classes of humans who worked with the Nephilim. And to, even today, I believe secret societies are a continuation of those scumbag humans who sided with the Nephilim, you know. Oh, yeah. And with, yeah, with, sure. a, with, a, with a priests who made, that made, made sure the people worshipped either the Nephilim giants or worshipped the fallen angel gods or worshipped the earth and the sun. It's one of the three. Yeah. All right. As long as you are not worshipping the creator. Right, they they don't care where your attention goes yeah, as long as you're, as long as you're not focused on God. So that, during that time, you know that's what they made people worship. And even today, we have our own analogous versions of this. You know, it was, you want to talk about sun worship, the heliocentric model, and the worship of the the Earth revolves around the sun is just a more modern scientific version of that that people base their entire worldview and universe upon. You know, um, you've also got I don't know, um pagan cults are still around worship of the earth chakra energies all that type of thing or you are your own god type of religions the new age is rife with it it's the same principle of what these ancient religions were all about you know and you still have pantheonistic god religions around today as well like uh, the hindu mythology you know it's, it's still the same thing um anything but god as long as you're not worshiping God, they're happy. It doesn't matter. You know, and it was then, but they had these literal giants around. So it was easier to convince people to worship the giant, you know, that was right in front of them. Um, it was, it was a terrifying time, but the point is they all died. They were wiped out with the flood, you know, and because they never should have existed. They don't have a, a spirit like we do. Right. They can't. Yes. They, their spirit can't ascend or descend. No, they're they just stayed here on earth. They just stayed here. right here on earth. Yeah. And this is kind of the point I want to get to, you know, this modern phenomena of uh, people taking DMT to go to the spirit realm and communicate with jesters. There's a history to why those creatures are actually there. They're not just some archetypical symbol of the collective unconscious. They are literal beings with a history and with a consciousness separate from you with their own desires, thoughts and feelings. And they are lying to people today, convincing people that they are just reflections of themselves or whatever they would lie they want to tell them. You know what I mean? But people see clowns in the spirit realm, as as it's said. You know, they see jesters. And that's what they're really seeing. They're seeing the serpentine creatures, the Nephilim spirits, you know. Um, And 
the whole this is what possession's all about. This is why Jesus was casting demons out of people. Yeah. These Nephilim crave a body. That's what they're after, you know. They they want to be in embodied form like they used to be. They yeah. want to they want to, you know, they, they hunger and they thirst, but they have no organs or uh, no vessel to quench those desires. <laughs> you know what I mean? They are in literal hell. It's described as wandering in dry places in the Bible, you know. Yeah. And, you know, once you cast a demon out, it wanders in dry places, but give it a chance. They'll come straight back in. Right. It'll find it. It wants to do anything it can to get into another vessel. You know, that's it. That's its end goal now, you know, along with, and it's still today, just like it did in the antediluvian past, just in spiritual form, it still works for the fallen angels. It still has its place in the hierarchy of the spiritual war. It's still forwarding the agenda, you know, and this is a whole you know, people who channel demons in the music industry end up creating music that perpetuates the agenda of the satanic. Yes. And that's the point, you know what I mean? And these musicians think they came up with these lyrics, but really it was given to them by demons to foot forward the agenda of the demonic agenda, you know, the Luciferian agenda, this whole false light of Lucifer that will come soon to free us from the evil demonic darkness of the world or whatever, you know, this false savior, the antichrist figure that will turn up. Um, the agenda never stopped just because they were disembodied. And like I said, you know, Jesus gave us the ability to cast them out of people and, you know, people are willingly letting them in these days. It's, it's more rife than ever. In fact, in the West, you know, and yes. it's, all done, it's all done by using clown like imagery. <laughs> it's, it's synonymous. It's all linked together, you know, and people have described this theory to back to me and they've said it's kind of tied everything off for them into a nice bow, you know, it kind of it connects everything, everything together, you know, and it's kind of the clown was the last piece they needed to see the holistic picture. And, you know, I, I guess it kind of does that, you know, <laughs> for me, yeah. it's just always just been obvious, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it's a funny one, but I'll stop there. I, I, I went on, I guess that's one of the demonic aspects I want to make clear, you know, don't be fooled these people who are in this new age world, when they see a DMT jester in the other world, they're not going somewhere special. The DMT realm is not a special place. It's just this world. It's, it's like the, I'd describe it as like the, the pipes behind the walls of a building, you know, it's like uh, the, the code for a web page. It's all the letters and numbers. Uh, that world they're going to is the fractal matrix, the astral realm. It's kind of just like the, the thing the coding necessary to make this world happen that we live in it's like a lesser world in fact it's a place where bodies can't exist the real prize is the god-given body right you know and and, uh, which the holy spirit can dwell in which is made in the image of god you know and they don't have the ability to be here in this world and experience life like we get to you know and there's a lot of this gnostic ideology out there that makes you hate your body make you believe we are our souls are trapped in this evil flesh prison created by a cruel and vindictive god and we need to you know free ourselves from it by not experiencing life and having no earthly desires or possessions type of thing you know as what this whole enlightenment becoming a bodhisattva and buddhist mythology is all about you know and um I think there's a lot of mix up with these ideologies as well. Things like reincarnation, for example, this concept of the soul constantly being recycled back into the earth. Well, that doesn't happen from a Christian perspective. When you die, your soul sleeps until the end. 
till the final days when it's risen, you know, and, and a new light body. Um, but this, I do believe the Nephilim spirits are kind of stuck in some kind of perpetual hellish reincarnation world. I think a lot of these religions are Nephilim based religions that they've got humans following. You know? Oh yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's true for them, but not true for us type of thing. Right. Um, and it, it goes deep. <laughs> okay. I'm rambling now. I'm kind of no, I'm going. No, yeah, this is perfect thing. because where you're wrapping up is where my show lives. Um, my, the name of my show, I, it's the Bump Podcast, right? And Bump stands for the Believers of the Unexplained Monsters and Paranormal. And yeah. I have people come on every week and they share their personal experiences. And about a year and a half ago, um. Yeah, I'd say about a year and a half ago, maybe a little longer, I had a uh, a guest come on, Dark Waters. I don't know if you know Dark Waters or not. He, uh, he's got a pretty popular YouTube channel. And he and I had talked off air. You know, we texted each other, called each other. And he helped direct me on how to grow my show spiritually, not necessarily with numbers or whatever but it to make it an altar for the lord uh because i am a christian and it, it's obvious through my show but it got uh it took a turn man it took a turn um and i did that you know i i prayed to god i turned everything over to him i i said i want to dedicate the show to him i just want to be a steward of the show uh whatever guests come on i want it to be through him if it's not of him i don't really want it but I didn't hinder any guests from coming on. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't care if they're a witch and they come on my show and they want to talk about the world of witchcraft that they've experienced. We can talk about that, but just know that you're talking to somebody that's going to talk with you from a Christian perspective, you know? And so yeah. that's what we did. And we, you know, I let people come on the show and we talk about this stuff, but just naturally the progression went to uh, this world of spiritual warfare. So everyone that I talk to, it has uh, it's become almost almost every week. It's become people calling me and talking about this demonic battle that they went through, or they've seen their girlfriend be possessed, um, or they opened the store to witchcraft unknowingly because they thought they were in a new age movement and they got trapped in this cult, and you know what I mean. So it's like where you're at right now wrapping up this conversation is exactly where if your audience likes this kind of stuff i've got 200 episodes <laughs> of, of content they can listen to uh and i know that my audience is going to absolutely love this conversation and they're going to want to hear more from you um mm -hmm. so all that being said can you please plug your show your channel and all of that to to give us a place to find more from you yeah sure uh, well i am mainly on youtube i i do have some backup channels on BitShoes and odyssey but if you just type in understanding conspiracy on youtube you will find all my stuff um my video should come up quite quickly my logo is a a six-pointed yellow star with a red circle in the middle Um, i have explanations for why that is on my on my channel but uh <laughs> You can find it quite quickly. Um, if you just type in Nephilim look like clowns, one of my videos will eventually turn up, um, though it's quite suppressed. You don't find it immediately by typing that in, which is quite bizarre. Um, 
So understanding conspiracy, uh, my name is Paul Stobbs, S-T-O-B-B-S. So that will come up in a few places. I was recently on the Tim Fall hat with Sam Tripoli. So if you did type in um, Sam Tripoli, Nephilim look like clowns, you'd find me there quickly with all the links as well. So you can find me through YouTube primarily. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I think I am at U underscore conspiracy. <laughs> you can I post the odd thing on there, but I've not really used it much. I've only just started using it recently. Um, so that's where you'd find me, YouTube and um, Twitter. I also have a Telegram group people can join just by typing in understanding conspiracy, but you can find all the links to these things under my any video of mine and it'll take you straight to all these things. Um, and I think that's it really. I'm currently writing the book on this subject. Um, I'm halfway through it. I'm 14 chapters into a, a mapped out 30 chapters. Um, so I'm hoping that can get released sometime next year, um, depending obviously on, on how quickly I can get this done while trying to raise my child and, and you know, uh, run a business and all this type of thing. But it is, it's, it's making steady progress. I've been writing it now for about five to four months or something like that. Um, so we're getting there. Uh, so you can go to the GoFundMe if you want to help support that as well. Um, but yeah, YouTube is the place to be. And that's where you'll find all my videos. Awesome. Fantastic. Paul, I thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I I have learned a lot. You are a wealth of knowledge. I can tell that you put the hours in, man, because it just comes so fluid. You know, it, it's so fluid and you tie everything in and it does. It gives... It gives people who are on the fence or who are skeptical about the whole Luciferian agenda uh, something to actually look at, you know, and yeah. now they have a visual rep representation and the explanation that goes with all these different things that have been pointing to it forever. So hopefully this, this clown, it's like, it's the face of truth. That's weird. That's so weird, but yeah, man, it, it's, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. No problem. Uh, just on a final note, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I'd ever be the person to talk about clowns as much as I do. Um, I don't even care about clowns. I never have. <laughs> I'm not, I don't follow clown culture or anything. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a juggalo, you know what I mean? Or anything like that. Um, I, I, yeah, it, it was never something in my entire life I thought I would talk about, you know. Um, I, it's just not like I'm I'm fascinated by clowns or something, or, but it's just where um, God has led my research. Um, fundamentally, you know, I do feel like this was kind of re revealed to me in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it does feel like that, you know, because again, it's not something I, I wanted to be, to be the the leading expert on or anything like that but it, it, it's somehow i've inadvertently ended up there because it's i feel like it's the information has been given to me you know um through those experiences i explained at the start you know it seems like i've kind of been led here uh so yeah all glory to god at the end of the day amen amen keep shining a light for the lord man and god bless you and your family thank you thank you have a good evening you too that's it for this week, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want more content, if you want to submit your own story to be on the show, if you want to listen to past episodes, or if you want to donate to the show, you can do all of that through thebumppodcast.com. So just go there, 
um, explore the website, check it all out. If you want to sign up to be a member, it's super cheap. It's just $1.75 a week. You can cancel at any time, get in on uh, all the, the new, latest, and greatest stuff we have going on. All right, so again, thanks for listening. I love you. God bless.
personally ready to submit your life to God and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The book of Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it really simply that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. To be born again, to start a new life as a child of God, to join God's army, to rise up against the evil forces that you know are all around you. You don't have to do it alone. I love you. Jesus loves you. And may God bless you. If you're here, feel alone. 
and your burdens he no longer can bear. Just come on up to this altar and take it to the Lord in prayer. Come on up to this altar and fall down on your knees and pray. Ask the Lord to forgive you and you'll be Come on up to this altar and fall down on your knees and pray. And ask the Lord to forgive you and you'll be Better days, better days.